Hello, listeners. Glad to meet with you again. You are now listening to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. For first time listeners, my name is Christine Kim and I am the host of this program. My hope is that all of our listeners listened and acted upon the good word they received and were assured of the Lord's love for us. Over the past month, we have been speaking about the seven churches in the book of Revelation the Church of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and the Church of Philadelphia. Today I want to share about the last church, the Church of Laodicea. It is written in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through 22, the letter that Jesus wrote to the Laodicea church. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot, with that you are either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, and not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant with him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Biblical scholars say that the Laodicean church is represented from 1900 to today and until the day Jesus returns. They also say it represents a perversion of faith. It is a very frightening thought to know that the Laodicean church. Is a predominant church that represents the church today. This is because among the previous six churches, the Church of Smyrna in Philadelphia had no rebukes and only received compliments. In the other four, the Church of Ephesus, Pergamum, Thyatira, and Sardis received both rebukes and compliments. But the church that represents today, the Laodicean Church, in contrast to the others, had nothing commendable about it. Some biblical scholars even say that this church represents a church that cannot receive salvation. If this is all true, this is a very serious issue. If the church that believes it can receive salvation cannot be saved, what bigger problem is there than that? What was the church of Laodicea like, and what were the reasons that caused it to be this way? We must also examine ourselves and look inwards to understand if any of these traits are within us as well. Laodicea means people derived from Leo, and judgment or ruling from Decia, together meaning people ruling. Even the meaning of the name of the church is a bit different, right? This church had a name that meant people ruling, instead of ruled by our sovereign God, acted according to its name. I am rich. 
I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. There is a very famous story about the city of Laodicea. Around AD 60, there was a great earthquake which affected the city of Laodicea and the many cities around it. The city of Rome helped the surrounding cities with financial assistance so that they could restore and rebuild their city. But apparently, because Laodicea was so prosperous, they refused imperial financial assistance and reconstructed the city on their own. The ways of the city probably had a great influence on the local church body as well. Jesus tells his church that claim they are rich and have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. They were rich, but were wretched and pitiable. And because they didn't have the faith to receive salvation, they were poor. They were blind, thus they could not see that they were not saved. And they were naked, not clothed by Jesus Christ.
Churches in this generation are becoming greater in size and also more businesslike, and believe that this wealth signifies revival. It is very similar to the Laodicean church, who believed they were wealthy not needing anything and chasing after wealth. However, more than ever, the church today is becoming more wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, and more importantly, they are not even aware of this. It seems as if the owner of this church is not God. But people and money, Jesus tells to the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter three verse twenty, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me." If you carefully think and meditate on this verse, there is something very surprising you might come to find out. These words are not to the non-believers, but to the church. After re-examining this verse, what exactly is it saying? Jesus should be within the doors of the church, but is standing outside the doors. How is the center of the church, the head of the church, standing outside the doors, knocking on them? So then, what happens to a church without Jesus? The church which thought it did not need anything did not have Jesus. How is your church? It may seem fancy and well off from the outside. But is Jesus standing outside, knocking, asking to come in? Does Jesus live within you, or is He standing outside of the doors of your heart, knocking, waiting to come inside? The other churches in the Book of Revelation had a lot of heretics and cults, and others suffered from persecution. However, this Laodicean church did not have any such attacks. That is why they lived such a lukewarm life, not cold nor hot. Though they did not have Jesus, the foundation of life, they felt they did not need anything. How about you? Are you doing well in your walk of faith, perhaps without Jesus, or perhaps you feel you need nothing more and feel you live in prosperity, though you have no relationship with Jesus? I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my right. 
runs deep Your grace is more Grace is found Is where you are Where you are Lord, I am free Holiness Is Christ in me Up next is a sermon by Pastor Francis Chan of Cornerstone Church. Today's topic is What is the Significance of 666? Part 2, based on Revelation chapter 13, verse 1 through 18. I hope you have a blessed time as you join Pastor Francis. In verse 11, he says, I saw another beast. Now, this other beast that he's going to describe later on in Scripture. It refers to him as the false prophet. You may have heard of that term, the false prophet. That's described here. I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. Okay, that's an interesting description. Let me ask you something. He says he has two horns like a lamb. Who is the lamb? Jesus. But he spoke like the dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan. Wait, so he has an appearance like Jesus, and yet his speech is like the dragon. You guys, don't miss this. Because I believe this is the perfect description of the false religions today. They appear Christian until you hear the words that come out of their mouths, and you really study them, you realize that's not biblical. I mean, look at all the cults that we see today. Do you look at them and go, ooh, look how evil they appear? No. They appear good. 
That's why the whole world says, come on, that's a good religion, that's a good religion. Look at all the good, look how good they look. And yet when you study what they teach, when you finally study their actual words that come out of their mouths, and you uh, try to line them up with Scripture, you realize that doesn't match up. What does that tell you? That the words are actually from the devil, even though the appearance may be like Christ. And that's why we urge you guys and we beg you guys, would you study this book? Man, it drives me crazy that some of you come to church and you just take whatever I say and you believe it. Honestly, that bothers me. Because then I could just lead you anywhere. Man, it is so important that you check out what I say and say, wait, is that biblical? And that's why we have these classes over the summer to teach you how to study the Bible. So that you don't have to take someone's word for it. But each time you're going, wait, is that right? According to the Bible, because in the end times, there are going to be people who appear so genuine, so real, you just fall in love with the personality and some of the things they do, and they appear Christ-like until you study the words. Take time to listen to every message you hear and evaluate it according to the Word of God. So you are not fooled, because the whole world is going to be fooled by this false prophet. You see, it goes on in verse 12, and it says that he exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf. And he made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. So this guy is going to come, and he's not just going to say a bunch of persuasive words, but he's actually going to have the power to have fire come down from heaven. I remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24. He says, in the last days, there will be many people coming claiming to be Christ. And it talks about how they'll even have the power to do signs that will deceive the world. Imagine, again, think about it. A guy comes to this earth, and he has the power to call fire down from heaven. And the tense of this verse shows that he is able to do it repeatedly. It's not like a one-time event. He's just showing, look what I can do. Imagine if someone on the earth right now had that kind of power. Everyone would be blown away by that individual. And then he tells the whole world, you need to worship this person. I'm sure he's not going to call him a beast. He's going to say, my buddy, you know, whatever. You need to worship him because there's no God. Where else is the power going to come from? You need to worship us. And, and this is where it gets crazy. Nothing. The rest was normal. But verse verse 14, it says this, Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Okay, now isn't that interesting? I mean, first of all, let's, let's go back a little bit. You've got this false prophet who's telling everyone to worship the beast, and you've got the beast who says, yeah, worship me and also worship the dragon. Where else do you see that? You've got the Holy Spirit that directs us all to worship Jesus Christ, and Jesus says, yeah, worship me, but worship the Father as well. And you see this kind of unholy trinity here. But this false prophet, what he does is he tells the whole world to worship this beast. Not only that, he tells them, why don't you set up an image of him? So it's some sort of statue 
I don't know if it's a statue. Some people say maybe it's a cloning type of thing, you know, that we're into nowadays, or or an image, a picture, or whatever. But however, the world sets up this this idol to be worshipped. But then what the the false prophet does is he somehow gives this statue or this whatever it is the ability to speak. He makes an inanimate object breathe and speak. And I know that some of you guys are going, come on, this is so far out there. And yet, what else would work? It's got to be out there. If it's something that's normal every day, we wouldn't follow it. But now you've got someone who has the power to bring fire from heaven, cause an inanimate object to speak. And this object, what it says is, if anyone refuses to worship me, have him killed. Okay, now do you see why the pressure would be great? Why would it be incredible? Because of all the things that you're seeing here. And now this, this object is speaking. And, and in verse 16, it says, He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast for his man's number. His number is 666. Okay. So now this this image that is speaking... And, and by the way, many people believe that that statue that's placed there is uh, is actually placed in the temple. Um, going back to Daniel, that it talks about this abominable thing being set up in the temple. A lot of people believe that it's, well, it's the statue that speaks. But anyways... This, as the statue speaks, it, it forces everyone to put a mark on either their right hand or on their forehead. Now, there have been different discussions about this. Well, what is that? What is that 666 that's placed on your hand? Does that mean if someone writes 666 on their hand that suddenly they're worshiping the devil? You know, because the Bible says you don't take that mark. You take that mark and you're going to go to hell. Because that means you're worshiping the beast. People say, well, what if I accidentally had a 66 on my hand? Or, or what if I go to Chuck E. Cheese and they stamp that number and, ah, you know, <laughs> you, you know, what is this? Well, first of all, this is going to be something that is ordered. And, you know, there's been some interesting theories that have come up because, you know, it says that you can't buy or sell unless you have this mark. And so some say, well, maybe the mark somehow has to do with your finances. You know how we're going to a cashless society? And now they're already using that smart card that pretty much tells you everything about the person and how much money he has. And I mean, cash is going to be obsolete soon. Okay, so people say, well, what if you were able to put something in a person's hand that identifies them, and this way no one can steal their money? You know, you can steal a credit card, you know, but now you've got something in your hand that shows you how much you have in your account and everything else. And the interesting thing is, is have you heard of a company called Applied Digital Solutions? And they came out, some of you are nodding your head, they came out with a digital angel. Okay? In fact, they just started production on this thing on Friday, June 8th. They just started their first production run. And what it is is this. They've created this little, uh, this little like a biosensor that is about the size of a grain of rice. And you can, you can actually insert it into a person's wrist right, right up here. And what it does is it monitors a person's heart rate, uh, their, their pulse, you know, a lot of their vital signs. 
And they're using this for medical patients who, you know, have some sort of condition. And so what they do is they can put the sensor on them or in them, and now and that uh, is attached to a global positioning system. A GPS system is, is the first thing of its kind. And so now you got a guy on a computer, and he knows where these people are at. He knows how their heart rate's doing. He knows how everything's going. And so that he can alert them or, or get someone over to them if there's a problem. They're also using this in pets, you know, so that if, if you, you know, you, you can't lose your dog anymore. And uh, the interesting thing is, uh, and now they've made it so that you don't actually have to insert in the skin. You can put it on the back of a watch, you know, and just place it on top of the skin. And so from this little thing, you, you can see how, wow, that, if everyone had one, I mean, sure, makes sense, doesn't it? And it seems like such a great thing. And this is a publicly traded company. You, you've got this tracking system now and, and how easy it would be just to say, okay, this is who the person is, this is where he's at, and this is what he's got left in the bank. And, you know, it, it's just, I'm not, I'm not suggesting anything other than you look at technology today and you read Revelation 13 and you go, we're not that far away. Um, we're there. They just started production of these things. And um, it's just interesting to me. I get concerned when people are too sure of themselves, of who the 666 is, and, you know, I know it's Barney, or I know it's this, I know it's that. Come on. Um, but the Bible does say that that's supposed to clue us in. And so we do have to pay attention to that number and say, how does it relate to this or that? And is there a mark or is there something that's going to go in my forehead or whatever? You know, what what is this all about? And just keep our eyes open. Now, having said all this, I bet you that 99% to possibly 100% of the people that are here right now, here and in the satellite room, I bet you you're all thinking to yourself, look, if that type of mark came out, there's no way I would take it, Right? Go, I know now. I'm just way too educated for that. But my question is, are you so sure? What makes you think that when the rest of the world is doing it and you could be killed for not taking it, what makes you think that you'd be strong enough to not take it then when it's hard? I mean, I want you to evaluate, how do you do with that now? When you're in a group of people who don't believe in Jesus Christ, are you able to stand your ground against all of them? Are you able to speak up about what you believe, even when it's unpopular? And if, if you can't do that now, what makes you think, well, when it gets harder, then I can do it? You think about it. Even in the, in the little day-to-day -day things, are you able to stand up for morality the way the Bible asks you to amidst peer pressure that goes against it? And if not, then what makes you think you'll be able to do it in the end when now you're getting tortured for it? Because I was in, I was in South Carolina this week speaking to a bunch of high school students, about five 600 kids. And Do you know what they did during the day? They would walk up and down the beach there at Myrtle Beach and just start sharing their faith with anyone they ran into. Just tell them about Jesus. Do you know what that's like? And in the evenings, these students would get up and they would speak and they would talk about their experiences. And I'll never forget some of the people who shared, you know, little 13, 14-year-old girls that, that said, yeah, you know, I started sharing with someone and she got so angry. 
started like swearing at me and telling me how stupid I was. And she goes, you know, when I was all done, I just started bawling. And I went back to my hotel room. I just started crying. Then I thought, God wouldn't want me in my room crying. He'd want me out there telling more people about him. So I got back up and went back out there and told more people. You know, and then and this lady came to know the Lord, you know, and she prayed with me. And, you know, and these stories of guys who said I was actually physically assaulted. He took my tracks, ripped them up, you know, told me to stay away from his kids. And But I just went out and started sharing with more people. And, and I'm thinking, man, there's a boldness in these students that say, you know, I believe what I believe. And I'll speak up for what I believe. Regardless of what you say to me, those are the types of people that you could see in the end times saying, I'm taking a mark. Go ahead, kill me, torture me. But what about you? Are you ashamed of what you believe? Or are you already now showing the signs that, you know what? You love Jesus Christ with all your heart. And no one's going to take that away from you. You're going to follow his ways even if everyone else tells you you're ridiculous. You see, Christianity has always been about standing against the majority. It was about Jesus Christ who, who died on the cross when the whole world was against him. And he says, just as I have died for you, I want you to be able to pick up your cross and follow after me. Because we're about to take a communion, a time where we remember the body and blood of Jesus Christ.
Soul Gospel Ministry is looking for volunteers in tech editing to ensure the quality of the broadcast and the addition of more encouraging and empowering programs. Volunteer hours are three hours a week, and anyone who's had experience with computer before can participate. And don't worry if you're not familiar with the sound editing program. Heart and Soul will provide basic training in editing. So if anyone is interested in helping out our ministry, please contact us at 602-866-8999. Thank you. Please stay tuned as we are following a program that guides us to know what ethics Christians should hold, titled Christian Ethics. Hello listeners, this is Brian Winston with Christian Ethics. What would you do if you were walking down the street and found a wallet on a bench? There's nobody around, you sit on the bench and wait for the owner of the wallet to appear, but no one's coming. Finally, you open up the wallet hoping to find an ID to figure out who the owner is and you find out there's a lot of cash inside. The wallet is filled with $100 bills. The ID inside the wallet indicates that the owner is a foreigner. Perhaps a traveler lost it while he was traveling in the area. Or perhaps it could belong to a drug dealer. You suddenly have the urge to take the money, since at the time, you were also in desperate need of money. You even rationalize that maybe this is God's way of providing for your needs. You think about reporting this to the police officer or nearby store owner, but you feel like they aren't trustworthy. What would you do in this situation? In this situation, if you keep the wallet, would it be considered stealing or not? Some may think that this wouldn't be considered a theft because you didn't actually steal anything. You just picked up a dropped wallet. However, the Bible defines it as stealing when you keep someone else's property, not turning it in or not telling anyone and secretly keeping it as your own. Stealing is a sin. It is mentioned in the Ten Commandments as well. People usually think of theft as breaking into a bank, a store, or someone else's house. But using the company's money for your personal benefit is also considered stealing. Not paying the required tax is also stealing. Not paying for a pack of gum or embezzling thousands of dollars are both equally considered stealing. The value of what is being stolen doesn't determine whether it's considered stealing. Stealing is a sin regardless of its value. Jeremiah 7.9 in the Old Testament includes stealing in the prohibited list along with murder, committing adultery and perjury, and burning incense to Baal and following other gods. Also, Jesus in Matthew 19.18 mentions the Ten Commandments and tells us not to steal. Let's think about why God tells us not to steal. First of all, stealing is against God's nature. Everything that God commands us not to do is against His nature. Secondly, stealing is wrong because this act is derived from not loving the victim. Stealing always hurts the victim somehow. Sometimes the scar from stealing is so small or vague that it cannot be seen or felt. But that doesn't mean it's not there. Actually, the damage of stealing can affect all of us. For example, 
Let's say that someone stole a pack of gum at a store. One pack of gum is not going to damage the store right away. However, if more people start to steal continuously, then the number of stolen products and the financial damage to the owner will increase. The owner would want to set up surveillance cameras in a store and may hire people to monitor the cameras. Then the owner would raise prices of the store products to cover the cost he spent on surveillance. In the end, when the customer comes in to buy things in the store, they have to pay the higher prices, paying more than they should. This is ultimately caused by the stealing. For a fairly long time, insurance fraud has been an issue. Insurance fraud occurs when a claimant lies or provides false information in order to receive more money to which they are not entitled. In 2006, it was reported the cost of insurance fraud was estimated around $80 billion per year. Insurance fraud leads to increased premium cost and its impact is not only on insurance companies, but also consumers. The third reason why stealing is wrong is because God wants us to try our best in our lives. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 says, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Since the Internet is readily accessible to just about everyone, the most frequent place where stealing occurs is probably areas that have to do with information and entertainment. It includes downloading music and movies illegally, copying software and games online, and copyright violations. However, many people do not realize that such acts are all considered an act of stealing. Despite the fact that this happens on a regular basis, this type of stealing is considered a sin. The Bible clearly speaks about this problem. I'm sure none of our listeners steal. But what are your reasons for not stealing? Is it because you are afraid of getting caught and arrested? Or is it because stealing does not make God happy and rather it hurts him. Christians and the world have different values and viewpoints. Because our Father God is holy, all of our standards should be aligned with him alone. This concludes this week's episode of Christian Ethics. Thank you for listening, and God bless. presence
Jesus tells the Laodicean church, who felt they had everything they needed in Revelation chapter 3 verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. He tells them to have faith of gold and to be wealthy in spirit. Jesus tells them to be clothed in white garments and to use salve to anoint their eyes so that they may see. What is the reason Jesus rebukes and disciplines them? Because he loves the church. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. There might be some of us who have been walking in the light of faith, but with Jesus standing outside the doors knocking to come in. There might be some of us who believe in Christ comfortably and conveniently, and some of us with lukewarm faith. I hope that our spiritual eyes are open and that we may have faith refined by fire. I hope that our nakedness because of our sin may be covered and clothed by the white garments of Jesus Christ. Jesus promises to those who overcome, he will give the right to sit with him on the throne. I hope this next week we may all examine our faith and repent of our lukewarm faith as we will now wrap up unity in Christ. Thank you for listening as it has been my pleasure and I hope to see you this time next week. God bless. We want to see things for the way they really are. Open our eyes. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see I want to see Lift it up. Let me hear you.
Yes, you are holy.